Welcome once again to the Propreneur Podcast, where we help practice owners become better entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Dino Watt. And welcome once again, everybody, to the Propreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Dino Watt, and I'm excited to be here today to bring you another professional, as you know, on the show we have experts and we have professionals, and I think we learn so much from our professionals who are out there in the mud, getting it done, and actually uh, growing businesses that we all can learn from. And today is no exception for our amazing guest. I have Shyam Desai on our call today, who is a doctor out of uh, Connecticut. Is that right? That's right. Connecticut, and not just uh, one office, but he has multiple practice uh, offices. He's grown his practice pretty quickly. So I think we're going to learn a lot from him today. Welcome to the show. Hi, Dino. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's exciting to have you. Uh, I actually had the opportunity to go out and visit his his offices about a little over two years ago and meet his teams that were growing and expanding even at that time and all the amazing stuff he's done out there. Uh, so I'm excited to uh, get to know and pick your brain a little bit more about that. So tell us a little bit about your journey and uh, as an entrepreneur, uh, why you got into this crazy world of orthodontics and uh, that whole story. Yeah, I mean, as, in terms of why I got into orthodontics, uh, in dental, when I got into dental school, I didn't know I wanted to do orthodontics. Um, I thought I'd come out and be a general dentist. We could do just fine. Yeah. Uh, but going through dental school, um, I realized, uh, number one, I didn't think my body uh, could handle um, being a general dentist for a long term. I mean, just sitting there and doing the dentistry, um, I didn't think my body was able, would be able to handle that. So that was one concern I started to have when I started to treat patients. And then um, one difficulty or one issue I did, one thing I didn't like about general dentistry is that you're trying to convince people to get stuff that they really didn't actually want. Like you have to show them what the problem is mm. and tell them why they need it. And they're not actually coming to you because they want a crown or a root canal. Yeah, no one's walking um, in saying, hey, doc, can I get a root canal today? I, was, I hear they're pretty yeah, fun. Exactly. So I didn't find that, uh, you know, I, I don't consider myself a salesman and I, I didn't find that part of it mm -hmm. fun. Um, so, yeah, that's when I started to explore the, the different specialties. And uh, orthodontics was a perfect fit for me because people come to you wanting to teach straight and uh, you don't really have to do much to, to sell that part of it. So it's, uh, it's great. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, I remember uh, specifically, I actually used this story uh, at different offices, being in one of your offices and sitting inside one of the TC exams. And there was a, a young woman there who came in. Well, not actually young. She was probably in her 40s, 50s. And um, she was sitting there and the TC asked her the great question, which I always love is like, so why do you want to have, why do you want to get braces? And the woman started to cry and she just said, I've never smiled my entire life. And she had some, you know, some pretty extreme challenges with her, with her teeth. And she started to cry just saying, I've never smiled my entire life. I want to smile. And, you know, that's one of the great things that I get to see in your guys' specialty is this transformation that not only happens physically, obviously with the teeth, but also emotionally for people to change their lives. And what it did for me, and I know you get to see it on a daily basis, how, how does that like propel you on a daily basis, knowing that that's what you get to do? Yeah, it's, it's pretty powerful. I mean, um, if, if you just go to work every day and kind of do go through the motions, you don't, you don't, um, you can't fully appreciate it. Um, but we try to continuously remind our team members of the impact we're having on our patients. Cause I think it's important for them to know that so they can come motivated, uh, to, to, to deliver that same type of impact to every patient. Um, cause if you just come and change O-rings or change wires, 
you lose sight of the bigger picture of what you're trying to do. And uh, I try to always kind of keep that uh, uh, upfront uh, in front of our uh, team members. Now, I would believe that, I, I, well, I know this because I speak to so many people, that one of the challenges that comes with on the other side of that knowledge of that you're changing lives is that you, you also have to couple that with being a businessman and actually learning how to run business. And that's something that wasn't taught to you in school, that you didn't have any classes on, you know, how to deal with human resources and deal with, you know, team members who are being maybe a little cranky today or the business side of it. So let's talk about your entrepreneurial journey. Here you get out of school. Where'd you go to school, by the way? I went to UConn for my orthodontic residency. I grew up in Connecticut. Um, I went to dental school in New Jersey and came back to Connecticut for my orthodontic residency. Nice. So you got to keep it all in house. That's cool. So you got to in your backyard. All right. So you get out of school and then what happens next? Um, so I really, I, I, I wanted to, um, I wanted to work for a year just to get experience, just to see what's out there. Um, but during that year, I quickly started to look for practice opportunities. Um, it wasn't, uh, I knew I wanted to own, but not, not straight out of uh, my residency. Um, so I went to Philadelphia. I worked uh, as an associate in a busy high volume practice. I went to Philadelphia because my wife, uh, who's a pediatric dentist, was doing her residency over there. Um, knowing that after a year, we were going to come back to Connecticut. So I was looking for practices in Connecticut during the time in Philadelphia. And uh, that was around 2008, 2009. And I found a practice that I really liked, but it was a tough financial time. Uh, and banks, even for orthodontists, uh, they, they, I couldn't get a loan for the first practice I wanted to buy. And it was, uh, it was an interesting experience to, to be able to, find, to finally find a practice that you know, checks off all the boxes and you, you want it, but you, you just can't get the money to buy it. So, sure. Um, yeah, that was an interesting experience for sure. Um, and then, so we moved back to Connecticut and my, my, my wife started working as a pediatric dentist and, uh, for three months, I, I didn't have a practice. I didn't have, uh, anywhere to work, but every day I was going out meeting people and networking and just trying to, uh, find the right opportunity that, um, even without the bank's, uh, help I could, uh, hopefully get into. And luckily I was able to find a practice that, um, I began to associate with, um, and the doctor knew that I wanted to purchase the practice. So, um, uh, it was a really great situation. He was a great guy, and he still is. We're great friends, and um, so we were able to. Uh, I was able to associate for. Uh, it ended up being about a year, and then I uh, ended up buying that practice a year later. Wow, so, that's great. Okay, so you buy the practice, and that was your very first practice. It was big practice, small practice. What did it look like? Uh, it was a big practice. It was a busy, high volume practice, um, and it already. So I was working there four days a week as an associate, and it was open Friday. So wow. actually, when I bought the practice, there was already an associate working one day a week. Um, so it was a busy practice, and um, uh, yeah, I was able to in the one year I was working there, I was able to see where the patients were coming from geographically. Mm. Um, so I was able to see uh, patients driving twenty five miles in each direction coming for what we were doing, um, and uh, it was. Knowing, knowing that ahead of time, I knew that there was more opportunity uh, beyond what we were doing in that one office. Um, so I took that information and um, opened open two offices uh, over the next few years uh, uh, after, after purchasing my first office. Okay, so buying a practice and running a practice are two totally different things, right? Yeah. When you, yeah, even as associate, you get to kind of see the uh, inner workings of the team but when it comes to business again, did you always have a business mind or was that something you had to learn? Um, I was always interested in business. I never took, um, I, I didn't have any formal business education, but I was always interested in business. Um, not my parents are not, in a, a, they don't own their own business or anything like that, but it's just something that always interested me. Um, but once I, uh, as you mentioned, uh, buying practice and running a practice are 
are two separate things. You can find the practice, you buy it. Um, and I quickly started to understand what I didn't want to do in the business. I knew what I liked doing. I knew what I enjoyed doing. But very quickly, I decided there was a, a handful of things that I didn't enjoy doing. And so uh, what I decided it was I wanted to continue to grow so that I could set up enough infrastructure around me where um, I'd have people doing those things that I didn't like doing. But not only that, I could trust them to do it better than I could do it. Um, and so that's, that's uh, you know, what, what, my, what I set my goal out to be, really. So it wasn't just a matter of stuff you didn't want to do as in a practice of the business. You mean like physically, I just want, don't want to be involved in that, whether it be bookkeeping or marketing or whatever. You knew internally that you wanted to hire that out and you hired people who were smarter, faster, better than you at that. Exactly. I mean, it, it comes out to, I think this is probably one of the biggest stressors in most uh, practice yeah. homes, but it was just staff, uh, staff issues with um, hiring, training, and managing um, just daily staff issues. It, you know, the first day after I became owner, I got a text, I'm going to be five minutes late. Oh, I can't come in today. And I decided these texts, they, I can't do anything with these. This is not, I want to show up at work and who's, whoever's there will, you know, we'll, we'll get through the day, but I need someone else handling that type of information for me. Uh, and a lot of people have an office manager doing that. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I, it, all the way from the hiring to training, uh, to disciplining and, you know, even, um, you know, setting up uh, goals and rewarding the team members. Um, I just wanted to make sure that I was taken care of at a much higher and better level than I knew I can do it. Well, that, that alone is a huge lesson, I think, for so many people, because it's really difficult for a lot of doctors to let go of that, first of all to come to that realization of, hey, there's nothing I can do with this text. And whatever I do do with this text actually is going to probably slow down my day and slow down my ability to be an amazing practitioner when I walk in there and even leader. And uh, to really realize all those different spots of and areas of delegation, it's probably one of the biggest challenges most leaders have. And you said, I think correctly, that you know staff issues become quite a challenge for so many doctors. And a lot of it is self-induced, right? It's, it's, it's because they're not willing to let go of it or they don't know how to find those right people. So let's talk about that because I got to tell you, I get questions all the time of, okay, Dino, how do I find the right office manager? How do I find somebody who's my right business manager? How did you go about doing that? Because I think that's one of the areas where you've really excelled in early on that a lot of people listening to this can listen to and learn from. Yeah, I mean, when I bought my first office, it came with 16 uh, team members. Um, so some of those people wow. had the, um, the internal skills to, to do more work or take on more tasks than they, they, they currently were. Um, it was just up to me to get them into that position and then empower them and delegate the right amount of work to them. Um, and then, uh, but there was other positions that, that I had to look outside for. And uh, the, way, the, the one major position was the operations manager. And, uh, I didn't get it right the first time around. We did a, a full-blown interview process, interviewed a, um, uh, some really good candidates, and uh, I, I hired someone that was outside the dental field, which, you know, for operations manager, I didn't think dental experience was important, and it's not. It, I don't think it is, but um, it just didn't end up working out with that first hire, and I think that's another thing is that you have to continuously reevaluate uh, what's going on. Like, you can't make a decision whether it's uh, business, staff, or one um, and say, okay, I made that decision and I'm just going to go with it and put your head in the ground and keep going. You have to continuously say, is this working? Is this working? If not, we, we need to correct it so we can get, uh, um, get right on path to where, where, where we're going. So that first hire didn't work out. And, um, and, um, and then I ended up making actually 
uh, internal person, um, uh, I gave them a raise to, to take on that position. And uh, it's worked out beautifully. It's worked out beautifully. So I'm a huge fan of that belief of always evaluating. Um, I talked about it, you know, actually just had, had a little um, Instagram post last week about, look, if there's one piece of advice I could give is to hire three times slower, fire twice as fast, right? Just make sure that you're always looking at that evaluation. And I find it so interesting how many doctors especially are so reluctant to that, to they feel like you're in somehow uh, letting your team know or not giving your team enough trust that, hey, you can be fired at any time. Hey, you know, I, and I'm thinking, well, what's the alternative that they know they can't be fired? Like they're always gonna have this job no matter what they do, no matter how insubordinate they are. So have you really been able to push off all of that to your office manager, whether it comes to not just the hiring and firing, um, but even the, the assimilation into the culture that you've created? Because you have created, created, created a great culture there. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I, the, the culture and the vision, it comes from me. But in terms of being able to implement it um, through the team members, um, yeah, that's, that's delegated through uh, the operations managers awesome. and then um, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't want to create a culture where the team's coming, um, to the office scared or afraid sure. that they're going to lose their job or walking on eggshells. Cause that's not, that's not a comfortable or fun situation. Um, I, I want to be able to motivate and empower the team, but I knew very early on that I wasn't doing a great job of it. Um, I knew what I wanted to do, but it just, um, because maybe because I was the owner and, you know, some people get scared or um, it just, it doesn't come up, a, a come off as constructive criticism sometimes, I guess, uh, especially from the owner to, uh, to an employee. Um, so it was, it was very difficult early on when I knew I wanted to teach and, and help someone get better. But it, it, when I was saying something, it wasn't helping them get better. It was, sure. they were taking it offensively or like, um, sure. you know, take it personally or something like that. So you created that buffer between you and them, but you still have that vision and uh, the culture being led by you. I think what's fascinating about that is I actually look at it the other way of uh, when it comes to people knowing that, hey, they've got to, they've actually have to do the job or keep, do the work to keep the job, right? Which makes yeah. sense to most of us, but not everybody, um, is that for all of those A team members, you're giving them so much security, right? Knowing that they're going to come to work every day, working hard, doing their best, and they don't have to worry about you putting up with somebody who's not going to be working that hard. There's a saying by uh, Perry Belcher that I put in my last book where it said, uh, nothing will ruin a good employee faster than watching you tolerate a bad one. Yeah. And I think it's just, it's so empowering for your team members to know that you've got their back. Yeah. And that, that's really cool. I think uh, another a tough, a tough thing that, that owners probably go through is that even if they know there's a bad apple, they, they're almost scared to let go because they think they're going to be short staffed. You know, in a smaller yep. office, you don't have some, it's sometimes you don't have enough manpower to, to, and you think you're going to not be able to make it if you lose this person because maybe clinically they're really good. Um, and as good as they are clinically, if they're not helping the culture get to where you want, it's, it's not the right fit. And, uh, and I've never, you know, you know, we, we it's often the other way around when if, if the team members decide to leave us because they might find a job that pays a dollar more or something, they often come back to us saying, you know, can you take me back? Uh, because they, they now value what we had. It's not, it's not, you know, we, we pay our team members well, but it's more than, um, 
it's more than just the, the dollar um, that's important to, to most of the team members. They want to be in a comfortable environment that, that you know, they're really motivated and uh, pushed to, to become their best. So let me ask you a question about that when it comes to team members and assimilation, if you will, because, okay, so you buy a practice, it has 16 team members in it, and then you go and you buy two other practices. Were they bought, they were bought pretty quickly after that or pretty quickly together? Yeah, so um, I opened our office about a year later, and which is uh, 2012. So 2010 was my first uh, purchase, and then uh, beginning of uh, 2012 um, was the opening of another office. 2013 was a big year. I opened my uh, a second startup and uh, also bought another doctor's office. So 2013, I went from two doctors to, to five doctors, and uh, I would say I kind of grew a little too quick uh, that year. Um, but, uh, you know, things were going well and just kept moving forward. Um, but again, it's all about evaluating yourself and seeing where you are. Um, and so, um, yeah. And so we went from 16, uh, team members to now we have, uh, 15 team members, including the doctors. Yeah. Okay. So with the offices that you purchased, there comes history with that, right? There's team members who have been in that office for sometimes 20, 30 years, right? There's, there's a history with those people. Yeah. 35 years. How do you, how do you as a leader help assimilate them into this new culture? Because I've been in those offices before where there's a little bit of pushback there. Oh, our last doctor didn't do it this way, or we like this thing better. And sometimes it was a negative thing, right? Oh, he let us get away with this. He didn't care about this. And now you're coming in saying, well, you guys you know, we have a new leader. We have a new opportunity here. How have you gone about assimilating those people and helping them, uh, see the benefit of, of growing into your culture? Um, a couple ways. So number one, I think when most people, they go to work, uh, a lot of times they don't know what the owner or what they're supposed to, like what they're being evaluated on almost. They, they go to work doing what they think mm. they need to do, but they don't know what's important to, um, to, the, to the success of the office. So um, we have clear goals and, um, and, um, and for, for all the different positions within our office. So they, with those goals, they know that this is what they have to accomplish to, 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 to continue to do well. So uh, establishing clear guidelines for them. And then number two, uh, putting people around them. So usually, you know, uh, most of the times when we're buying an office, um, the, the team members that are there, they, they stay on board with us, but we add some of our existing team members around them. So they have the, the, the culture quickly uh, can, can kind of take over like a, um, like a positive peer pressure happening. Exactly. Exactly. That's awesome. That's very good. I love that you are recognizing and, and listen, we have doctors who listen to the show from, you know, the chiropractic space, the dental space, ortho space. And one of the things I talk about continually is if you don't let people know what is expected from you, they'll give you whatever they think. Yeah. And that expectation is really important. It's, 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 it's crucial inside of the culture buildup of it. So here you have built up these practices uh, you're, and you're, you're fairly a, a younger guy. So I know you got other doctors out there going like, Hey dude, like, how are you doing this? How are you keeping up? I don't, I don't up feel this? as young anymore, but. Yeah, you're still pretty young. Uh, <laughs> um, so how do you keep the, um, you know, one of the biggest challenges with owning a practice is the stress level. Would you say that your delegation has allowed you to kind of, I know you're not stress free cause you're a practice owner, but when it comes to the extreme stress, the, the really uh, health adverse stress, 
how have you been able to avoid some of that or, or what have you done to actually help relieve some of that stress? Has it been the delegation yeah. part of it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Um, I mean, that goes with, if I was still doing the things I didn't enjoy, I, I would look probably 10 times older than I am. Not like it, it really starts to wear on you if you're doing things that you don't enjoy. Um, so I would say if there was one piece of advice, I, it's not possible to, to buy an office and enjoy doing every single aspect of it. If, if you do feel that way, I think you're probably either lying to yourself or you're probably not as good as you think at most of those things, right? Mm-hmm. So even if you enjoy doing those things, try to figure out what you're not good at and, and, and find someone who's better than you to do those things. So um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Delegating is, uh, is, is the most important thing to reducing stress level and ownership. Well, the value of what we try to do here is to really give the best practices to these doctors. And, and like, I know there's probably some doctors who are listening to this on their way to work or back from work and they're, rolling their eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know I got to delegate. You know, I got to figure that. Do you have a certain system other than, oh, I don't like doing that, that you put yourself through to go, oh, I got to find somebody to do that. Or I, this is not my purview. I remember a doctor once told me that he felt his only three jobs were to create a case, uh, the, the treatment plan, make sure the treatment plan is being followed. And a third is making sure moms are happy. And yeah. if it, it fell out of those areas, that's what he did. Do you have any type of wisdom like that? Um, well, I mean, the, I, I want to make, I want to get rid of myself as the bottleneck. Um, so if I see things, uh, I want as little things having to come to me because if they are coming to me there, I'm probably going to be the one slowing them down because I have so many other things that I might be trying to take care of. So um, it, a lot of times if I go, let's say I'm seeing patients in an office and uh, assistants or a front desk will come up and ask me a question and I'll be like, ah, I might know the answer and it's really tempting to try to answer that question, but I'll say, well, if I wasn't here, who would you be asking that question to? Um, and kind of, you know, encouraging them to just find the solutions without, without, without me, because um, as much as I want to be around forever, I mean, you know, I, I want to set up a business or, or an office structure that doesn't rely on me being there every single day. I love yeah. that. I love yeah. putting it back on the, the team member, whoever was that asked you, asking the question, well, what would you do? And I mean, it's so empowering too, right? Because you're actually giving them the opportunity to, oh yeah, I have a brain, I can use this. And they're, they're understanding that you trust them and trust is so huge with team members, so important. All right, so you've done some great things. You've done, obviously you've grown your business. You're, 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 you're speaking some real good truth here on the show. Every business has challenges. Every business goes through uh, periods that are more challenging than others. Every business has challenges. What's a challenge that you're going through right now that the people listening to this can kind of relate to? Um, just, I think one of the challenges, I, I think you, like you mentioned, uh, as doctors, we come out and uh, we know how to move teeth. We, we know how to move teeth, especially with braces. Maybe we don't know how to move them with the liners when we, when we finish our residencies. Um, but we can learn that as well, the clinical part of it. Um, but kind of uh, establishing, teaching doctors communication um, and, uh, and cause they all know how to do the treatment. It's, can they communicate well with the patient and parents, uh, so that they gain the confidence from the patients, uh, um, you know, we're going to get the teeth straight at the end, but if the patients don't feel good during the process, if they don't feel informed and, um, throughout the, the process, and it's not just on the doctors, it's the, the assistants as well, just continuously be able to communicate, um, throughout throughout the treatment process uh, it, it's a challenge because we you know they they're, they're kind of going through the motions and they know what they did and they feel like because they're doing it so often that they don't have to explain it but you know every single time you do it 
it does really need to be explained to the patient and parents so they feel informed because they don't come to us every day. They're coming to us, you know, once every six to eight weeks. And, and once their treatment's done, they're done. And it's a new patient coming in. So um, it's important. The communication aspect is always a challenge. Um, but yeah, it's, I think one of the biggest, um, yeah, struggles right now. Do you have any specific uh, examples or specific areas in that communication realm with your team that you're struggling with right now? Um, I mean, just just simply, like I said, updating this the status of the the. Usually, it's a it's a child we're treating, right? And oftentimes, that that sometimes, especially if it's cold out or if it's raining or it's snowing, the parent will stay in the car, which is fine. But we have to figure out a way to communicate what we did to the parent because if we leave it up to that kid. The, oh, no. the child, the child is going to go and say, they didn't do anything. the doctor didn't even see me. That's what they'll say. The doctor didn't see me. They didn't do anything. And it's like, ah, oh, like only if we could have just told mom what we did, mm-hmm. it, it would, it would be so much better because we did do stuff and we could explain it to mom. Uh, but even when mom's there, sometimes we miss the boat and we don't, we don't tell them what we did. And uh, cause we assume they're watching us or something, but um, it really just, we need to communicate better with uh, what are you doing to overcome that like have you guys come up with new tricks or ideas or stuff like that that you've thought of uh looking to bring you back and help us out and uh, <laughs> improve the communication there no I just bring yeah I'm, I'm current i'm brainstorming different ideas um i think the one where the parents not in the office that's the that's the most challenging uh but trying to come up with a way where we can you know maybe come up with a quick video message and, and text it to them or something to let them know um you know this is what we did so they get it from from our words not relying on the, the, the 12-year-old or the 10-year-old, yeah. um, what, what we did. You know what might be interesting is, uh, I wonder if you could do this. I bet with your, uh, I don't know, you'd have to look into the HIPAA side of things, but I wonder if you could use a system like a Marco Polo, where like I work with Marco with all of my, and my team's all over the country, right? So we're communicating all the time with Marco Polo, but it's a quick, fast text message type situation. I don't think Rhinogram does something like that where it's actually, because I know that's HIPAA compliant, but that might be an interesting way to do it. Just a quick video of like, hey mom, just want to let you know today we did X, Y, and Z. Have a great day. You know, let us know if you have any questions and maybe that coming from one central place in your office. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it, and it helps if it's coming from either the doctor or the assistant that was with the patient. Yeah. Exactly. Like in more detail what was done. Um, but yeah, we, I think that's, that's probably one of the biggest issues that I have to find a solution for right now. Yeah. Well, check into the to Marco Polo aspect of thing. Cause I bet if you did a waiver and you're able to do it that way, cause they can be erased, that might be an interesting way, but I love the idea and how, um, how awesome would it be to actually show your, your team, uh, your, uh, patients again and their parents again, that you guys are trying to be on the cutting edge of communication, of delivering the best service possible to everybody through a process like uh, uh, whether it be Marco Polo or not, but Hey, we want to make sure everybody is up to date as much as possible and there's no gaps in the information. So right. that's powerful. Love it. That's awesome. Well, cool. Well, let's, uh, let's do this. We're, we're coming to the end of our, our show and our time here together. And I just thank you so much for spending the time with us and, and sharing your wisdom with everybody. I have a few questions I always love to ask at the end of the program to get everybody kind of on the same page and kind of a, a rapid fire type situation. Are you willing to play? Let's do it. All right. What's the number one thing that you wish that they would have taught you coming out of school? Um, how to run a business. Um, I mean, I, I'm doing it, but I'm learning as we go, making a lot of mistakes. So yeah, definitely uh, how to run a business. 
and and those mistakes you know tear you down and make you curl up in a ball in the corner right absolutely not no i look oh, at every man. mistake as, yeah. i look at every mistake as an opportunity to grow and and learn and 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 continue to get better it um, is one of those interesting things because especially in the ortho world right you guys you're so like millimeter specific, right? Like everything can be changed in a millimeter. That perfectionism comes out that I love that you embrace the failure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've made tons of mistakes and I'm sure I'll continue to make mistakes. Um, but yeah, those are all learning opportunities for sure. All right. What's a book or a course that you think every practice owner should be reading or watching? Uh, um, Right now, I'm I'm doing four hour work week, um, so that that that's it's it's really really good in terms of learning what you're wasting a lot of time on. Um, it's 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 really been an eye opener to me, and just overall, um, like the goals in life, um, it, it puts a new perspective on things. You know, most of us are working towards, or originally everyone's like, okay, I want to you know work thirty years and save up X amount of dollars so I can retire. But, you know, imagine if you could just think of it differently and have retirement every year uh, come to you and do many retirements throughout life. Um, yeah, I think uh, 4-Hour Workweek is a great, great, great book. I mean, there's a, there's a ton yeah. of that, that's it's, No, 4-Hour Workweek is great because it's, uh, it gets yourself in the mindset of outsourcing more and more, which you're already doing really well with when it comes to, you know, uh, delegating the, the things around you. So 4-Hour Workweek is great. I, I'll throw in there for you and we'll put that in the show notes as well. Um, I, luckily I've been able to meet Tim a few times and he's a really cool guy. Uh, there's another book out there called, uh, less doing more living and it's the same type of idea. Uh, yeah. so those kind of couple together really, really well. Okay. What's the one piece of advice that you were given that you think about on a con- continual basis, your favorite piece of advice that you were given? I have to say, uh, from the first practice I bought the owner that I'm still friends with, uh, that I bought, um, and he told me you know, the culture he and I grew up with, we're always looking at expenses and, and dying over these expenses, like every dollar and expenses are important, but he told me to focus on uh, just growing the practice. I mean, you know, if you, if you can just start one more patient and just focus on taking care of the patients and growing the practice, you, you want to watch the expenses, but don't let each dollar that goes out of the mm. practice, you know, kill you. And I think that's, that's been really important because obviously as you grow, your expenses grow as well. And if I couldn't, just kind of look past that and understand what it was about. Um, it, it would, it would be hard to handle. Yeah. For some people, those expenses can be paralyzing. You're not dealing with a couple thousand here and there. You guys are dealing with big numbers. And so you're right. If you can't look past it, then that can be paralyzing and you can get in that paralysis of analysis. Right. Yeah. So great job. Okay. Uh, how can people get a hold of you by the way? Like, is there a way they can reach out to you if they have questions? Uh, are you speaking anywhere? Um, so the easiest way to reach me, you could, uh, through Facebook, uh, message me, or, um, you can, my personal email is and one, A-N-D-O-N-E, the number is 929 at gmail.com. Um, so either way, personal email or, uh, through Facebook message me. Awesome. Very, very cool. Well, I, we just want to give you another huge shout out and thank you so much for being a part of the show and letting people kind of just, just dip into some of your knowledge. What you've been able to do with your office out there has been amazing. And if people get a chance, please go up to CT Braces, ctbraces.com, right? That's right. Yep. Ctbraces.com. Check it out there. Uh, see them and all the great things they've been able to do. Everybody, uh, thank you again for listening to the show. Thank you, uh, Siam, for being here. Really appreciate it. Dino, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. 
Thanks so much again for listening to the Propreneur Podcast. We really appreciate your support. If you haven't subscribed already, please make sure you do so. Also, if you feel like you might be a good fit for our podcast as a guest or know somebody who you think would be, go ahead and email us at dino at dinowatt.com. Again, thanks for support. We'll see you on the next episode.